Well, let's thank the Lord for what he's been doing, and let's ask for him to work as we uh, open up his word. Thank you for these things that have been shared, Lord. For Dale, with what happened with the uh, black sheep yesterday, all those Harley guys and women, thank you. And for Amanda and what they experienced in their home group, thank you. And for Dawn, Lord, the ways you sustained her through her time of trial, and now she can reach out to Lisa and show you to her and connect with her. Lord, thank you. I love, Lord, how you work in, in, in this group of people. So I'm so grateful for the love that you've poured into us and the way these people love each other and, and love you and, and love your, your work. And Lord, I pray that you'd come now. I need your help as I preach. Open up your word to me more, Lord, and give me wisdom and give me the hearts I need and uh, work in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Well, my first car, okay, was a 1968 Volkswagen Bug. I think I've, I've talked about it a couple times, uh, a long time ago. And um, I remember one day I was driving, I think it was on a freeway, and just cruising along, and all of a sudden, just this dramatic reduction in speed and power. And I was like, oh my goodness, you know, my engine's blown or something's like that. So I, I nursed the car back home. I have no mechanical aptitude whatsoever, so I call up one of my mechanically um, gifted friends. He came over, popped open the hood, about 15 seconds, I hear this, oh, that's easy. 10 more seconds, closes the hood, says, start it up. Vroom, you know, that's not really like Volkswagen's, anyway, whatever it is. Anyway, problem was solved, okay? And uh, what had happened was that, just really simple, it's kind of embarrassing, but a spark plug wire had popped off of the spark plug. And so, as you know, cars are meant to run on all cylinders. And uh, so I was trying to run a four-cylinder Volkswagen Bug and on three cylinders, which is why there's a dramatic reduction in speed and a dramatic reduction in power. I mean, it was a serious change, but a very simple problem to fix, right? As long as I was trying to run on, you know, not on all cylinders, I was going to be feeling slow and lack of power. The only way I was going to get back up to what I could do was to get all cylinders firing, right? Okay. Jesus has called his church to fire on all cylinders. He's given us various resources, and he wants all of them to be used, and we need to be hitting on all cylinders if we're going to accomplish what he's called us to do here in San Jose. To see the gospel spread through your neighborhood, to see home groups multiplying into every neighborhood and community in the South Bay Area, to see, as he wills, to, to see us planting churches throughout the South Bay Area into the unreached nations. I mean, to do the things that Jesus has called any church to aim at doing, we've got to be firing on all cylinders. Now, there's one cylinder that's easy to neglect, and it's the cylinder of spiritual gifts. For a number of reasons, we can neglect that. One is because mm, it's controversial, right? And because we see you know, maybe people on TV doing really weird things with spiritual gifts, and we think, if that's what it means, I don't want anything to do with it. Or maybe you've had bad experiences in settings where there's been talk about spiritual gifts. And so there's lots of reasons why we can pull back from spiritual gifts, and so we're trying to move the church ahead, but we're not firing on all cylinders, so over the last couple months, uh, the elders, we've, we've sensed that there's been a, a diminishing 
of earnest desire for spiritual gifts here at Mercy Hill Church. Now, appreciate a number of you do regularly share spiritual gifts during that spiritual gifts time, and thank you for that and keep that coming. But our sense has been that besides that, besides those of you who've done that, there's been a diminishing of expectancy, uh, a lessening of earnest desire for spiritual gifts, and, and some, I think some confusion in terms of what's shared at that time about what really is a spiritual gift. And so we thought we should take maybe two weeks and talk about spiritual gifts uh, with the prayer that the uh, spark plug wire is going to be reconnected and that cylinder is going to be firing like it means to so that we can be moving ahead with more power and more speed and, and more of what the Lord has for us. So what I want to do is take two weeks. We're going to look at various verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. Those chapters, in fact, let's go ahead and turn there right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want you to be able to look on the passage with us. 1 Corinthians 12. That's on page 959 in the Bibles that we're passing out. And so what I, what I asked myself is, what are some obstacles that keep us from earnestly desiring spiritual gifts. And I just made a list of 8, 9, 10. I'm going to cover half of them this morning, and then, Lord willing, half of them next Sunday morning. Now, here's a little bit of background on 1 Corinthians. Paul planted this church and then left doing other church planting. While he was in other places, he got a report about some serious problems that had been breaking out at the church at Corinth. And so he wrote this letter to address some of those problems. One of the problems had to do with spiritual gifts. And so he writes three chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, to correct the abuses that had crept in in regards to spiritual gifts. Now, we're not going to go through these chapters verse by verse. I would encourage you to read through these chapters this week between now and next Sunday and take some time maybe at your home group and wrestle with some of these passages. But I'm going to focus on key verses which I think can help us overcome some of the obstacles. But let's start with chapter 14, Verse 1, look at what Paul calls us to do, what he calls them to do, and what he calls us to do about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, pursue love. 1 Corinthians 13 was the whole love chapter, so pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So Paul calls us to pursue love. Every follower of Jesus, you've come to know him. You have trusted Jesus. He's poured his love into your heart, his forgiveness, his very presence satisfying you. All of his promises are supporting you and encouraging you. You're filled with his love. And when that happens, you love people around you. You want to care for them. You want to meet them. You want to build them up. You want to meet their needs. You want to love them. So we're called to pursue love, to do whatever we can to help whoever we're with, whenever we're with them. That's what's in the heart of followers of Jesus. And then Paul says, he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And what he's saying is, if you care for people, one of the ways you can benefit them is through spiritual gifts. So if you love people, you will earnestly desire spiritual gifts because as you receive them and share them, they will benefit. So here's what this means. This morning, you could receive a spiritual gift from Jesus that 
powerfully encourages somebody sitting on the other side of the room from you this morning. The Holy Spirit could give you something to say, a prayer to pray, a picture you saw and shared. He could give you a spiritual gift that as you share it, boom, it encourages somebody over on this side of the room or vice versa or right next to you even. So if you love people, you'll earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Or at home group this coming Friday night or or Wednesday night or whenever your home group meets, God could this Wednesday or Friday night give you a spiritual gift which will exactly address a major point of temptation or struggle for somebody else in your group. Or maybe at Starbucks Saturday afternoon, God could give you a spiritual gift that would reveal Jesus to somebody sitting there innocently sipping their latte. Okay, see, this is how it works. And so as we're flowing through life, his love is being poured into our hearts through the cross. Jesus' love poured into us. And we care for the people around us. We want to do them good. We want to meet their needs. Part of love is earnestly desiring spiritual gifts. That's part of love. That's why we should earnestly desire the gift. It's not so that we can appear spiritual or so that people can talk about our church or it's because you love people that we desire spiritual gifts. Does that make sense? Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So here's the question. How much have you desired spiritual gifts recently? As you drove to church this morning, did the thought, Lord, give me a spiritual gift for someone this morning. Did that cross your mind? Maybe last night, did you take some time to pray, Lord, would you give me the, whatever gifts you might want to give me so that I could, could be of benefit to somebody else tomorrow morning? Or as you're at home group, or as you're at Starbucks, or wherever, as you're at work, how strong, on a scale of zero, nothing, ten, white hot and passionate, how strong has been your earnest desire for spiritual gifts recently? So what I want to do is I've thought of some obstacles which maybe could keep us from earnestly desiring spiritual gifts. What are some of the reasons why we may not earnestly desire them? And, And that's what I want to go over the rest of the time this morning and then Lord willing next week. So what barriers, what obstacles keep us from desiring spiritual gifts? And the first one that popped into my mind is not being sure that spiritual gifts really are part of God's plan. Okay? Not being sure that they're still part of God's plan. And uh, there's godly people who love Jesus, some of my heroes, who teach that supernatural spiritual gifts happened back at the time of the apostles, but they stopped then. And, that's, and that God's not doing things like bringing revelation today or prophecy or healing or that sort of thing. Godly people who teach that. But, but I'm not persuaded that that's what the Bible teaches. In fact, I'm persuaded that the Bible teaches that while there was something special going on with the apostles, no question about that, supernatural spiritual gifts are still part of what God wants us to be pursuing and experiencing here. Now, one passage that persuades me is 1 Corinthians 13, 8-12, which I taught on in detail earlier this year. So if you want to listen to that, you can go online, you can read my notes about it. Uh, it's under this series about the Holy Spirit. I don't want to do the same passage because a lot of you heard that earlier this year. Let me show you a different passage back in Acts chapter 2. 
to show you the same point. So turn back to Acts 2. In the Bibles we passed out, that's page 910. Day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Now here's the setting. Here's what's going on in Acts chapter 2. After Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, he told his followers to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus ascended into heaven, right hand of the Father. And his followers obeyed what he said, and they started earnestly, devotedly praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Just a little while later, day of Pentecost, Jewish feast day, holiday, um, on that day, as they were gathered to pray, their prayers were answered, and God poured the Holy Spirit out upon them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they all spoke in tongues, which in this case meant that God gave them the ability to speak a language that they'd never learned. And so they were speaking in languages they'd never learned, many, many, many different languages represented by the group of believers, speaking of the mighty works of God and Jesus in languages that they'd never learned. Now, here's why this is so amazing. Day of Pentecost, Jewish men and women, families from all around, uh, all around the other nations who spoke different languages had come to Jerusalem. And so they, the, the believers were surrounded by people who spoke many different languages. And so all the different languages that were represented there were given to the 120 believers. So they were speaking forth the mighty works of God in the exact languages that the people had come into the city and the, the languages that they spoke. Now, some of these people were really like blown away, intrigued. We need to hear more about this. Others thought, these people are drunk. Here's what Peter stands up and says, starting in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea. I just love, by the way, Peter, who had denied Christ, now bold. Do you love this? Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Joel, Old Testament prophet, wrote 600 BC. You can read his, his letter in the Old Testament. This is a quote from what he wrote in the Old Testament. 600 years before. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So Peter says, it's not that they're drunk, This is what Joel had prophesied. It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And notice two things about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. One is that it includes supernatural gifts. Visions, dreams, prophecy are the ones that that Joel specifies there. And then Peter highlights the the, the word prophecy, the last last word of verse 18. So it it includes supernatural, spiritual gifts. It doesn't mean that every time the Holy Spirit's outpoured on a new convert, they will have all three of these gifts, or maybe any of these gifts. The point is, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is, is connected with supernatural, spiritual gifts. That's one point to get. And then, notice also, this outpouring of the Spirit continues throughout the last days. In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit. 
When's the last days? Okay, we got the picture up here. In the Bible, the phrase last days does not refer to the days right before the second coming. It refers to the whole time period between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. So do a little computer search, last days, and you'll see all the places in the New Testament where that phrase is used. So it's in the last days. Now, the day of Pentecost was in the last days, right? But that's not the only part of the last days. That's just the very beginning of the last days. If it's in the last days that God will pour out his Holy Spirit with visions and dreams and prophecy, then it's during the whole time period of the last days that we should expect God to pour out his Holy Spirit, which he does whenever he saves someone, and that he will also be pouring out supernatural gifts like prophecy and visions and dreams. Does that make sense? Rhetorical question. Is God still pouring out the Holy Spirit now? Yes. Then why would we think he's not also pouring out dreams, visions, and prophecy because they're connected here? So just as, the, as God's pouring out his Holy Spirit through the whole last day's period, so supernatural gifts like prophecy, dreams, and visions are part of what he's doing during the whole last day's period. Which means that it's one of the cylinders that he wants giving us power. We want to be firing on all cylinders. Okay? That's one barrier. Not being sure that spiritual gifts are still part of God's plan. Another barrier is like just not being sure about the purpose for spiritual gifts. I mean, I thought if somebody gave you a tool, you didn't know what it was, you didn't know what it did, <laughs> you'd, you'd probably be a little hesitant to, to fire it up or to use it, right? Mm, I'm not so sure. And uh, that same problem with spiritual gifts. So there's two purposes. Let's turn back to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 now. Two main, broad, overlapping, but, but helpful to distinguish purposes for spiritual gifts. One is to build up God's people. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Paul says, to each, back in 1 Corinthians 12 now, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So it's, it's for the good of others. And, and the word building up is used, I think, three more times in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 to describe the purpose. So one purpose is the building up of God's people. That's one of the purposes for spiritual gifts. So that's why you want to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Because people will be built up. For example, a few, maybe six, eight weeks ago, Tom and Darla and Jan and I were together and just spent an evening together and we were sharing some of our burdens and some of our needs and they were sharing some of their needs and we, we, we talked for a while and then we just prayed and, and it was one of these sweet times where God just met us as we were praying. It was a good time. And uh, we were weeping and just rejoicing and, and just sensing God's presence. And, and in, in the context of praying, Jan said that she uh, thought she, she was seeing a picture in her mind that she thought God was giving to her to share with Tom and Darla. It's like a vision. And so she shared it. And, and in a nutshell, it was just simply that Tom and Darla were, were at some point in the future looking back on the present circumstances. Because we'd all been sharing needs and prayer requests and stuff. And that they were at a future point looking back now and they were seeing how God was sustaining them through all their needs and how God was addressing every one of their needs. 
So it's like they're in the future looking back, and so that was encouraging to Tom and Darla. It was, it was encouraging to all of us to hear that because that's, that's true about all of us all the time. But the point is, Tom and Darla and all of us were more built up because of that spiritual gift that God had given to Jan and shared with us than if God had not given that or if God had given that and Jan hadn't shared it or if she hadn't been as desiring and so he didn't give it or whatever. More building up happened because that spiritual gift than if it hadn't, wouldn't have been shared. You see that? That's one of the purposes. Second purpose is to bring people who don't yet know Jesus to Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25. People who don't yet know Jesus, God can use spiritual gifts to bring them to Jesus. Verse 24. Paul says, But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That, that, that's somebody who doesn't know Jesus coming to know Jesus is here. God is here. So here's a great story about how Charles Spurgeon experienced this. You're all wondering, why is, why is C.H. Spurgeon up there? One of my heroes. It's just a great story. Okay, 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, pastor in London, five, six, seven thousand people in his church, one Sunday morning, he's preaching. Halfway through his sermon, he stops. And he looks over like to one section and he says, somebody here, the gloves you're wearing, you didn't pay for them. You stole them. And then went back into his preaching. Okay? <laughs> All right? Well, end of the service, somebody walks up to him. Young man, these are the gloves, he said. And he repented. He'd stolen them from his boss. Now see, that, do you see that the, the, the power of God supernaturally just bringing upon Charles Spurgeon? Say this. And he says, Lord, are you sure? Yes, say this to somebody. They're over there. Say it. This is, this is part of my plan to save this young man. And that's exactly what he did. So if he wouldn't have been as earnestly desiring of spiritual gifts, or if he wouldn't have been faithful to respond to what the Lord gave to him, can you think of what a dramatic difference it would have made in that man's life? Who stole the gloves? Okay, so building up the body and bringing lost people to salvation. That's the purposes of spiritual gifts. Now, if you have had your heart changed through Jesus' work on the cross, you love building up the body and bringing lost people to salvation. You're all about that. It's like, yes, this is what I want to do. Spiritual gifts will help. So if you long to build up the body and if you long to see lost people come to know Christ, you will long for spiritual gifts. Does that make sense? Okay. Another obstacle. Oh, this is really an important one. Not understanding when gifts are received. The way I was taught in my early Christian years was that spiritual gifts are received the moment you're saved. Like God gives you one or maybe two. And that's the gift that you're going to have for the rest of your life. Don't worry about any others. Just focus on whatever he's given you. And that you kind of know what he's given you by looking at what you're good at or what your personality temperament is or that and maybe taking a questionnaire, that kind of thing. It's kind of like switching pictures, an analogy. It's like if you went to a job site, first day on the job, and the foreman gives you a hammer and gives somebody else a saw, 
and somebody else would drill, and he says, okay, these are the tools, use those tools the rest of the day, so all day long, you know, you're the hammer guy, okay, you got the hammer, you got your gift, you're whacking on nails all day long. That's, that's what I thought spiritual gifts, that, that's when I thought spiritual gifts were given. The problem is, that just does not fit 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. That model, it just doesn't work. One verse, to make that clear, is look at chapter 14, verse 1, same verse we, we looked at. And notice how strange this would be if that's the case. Again, Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Okay, now, if you've already received your gift, if you've got the hammer, why earnestly desire a hammer? Just start whacking the nails, right? So why, why earnestly desire the spiritual gifts? And especially, why, des- why tell the whole church at Corinth to especially desire prophecy? Now, here's the background to what's going on. The church at Corinth had elevated tongue speaking to a very high level. And Paul in these chapters says that if tongues are publicly heard, they should be interpreted so people can understand. But they weren't doing that. They were just speaking in tongues publicly all together, just a confusion. And so Paul says, understandable speech is much more edifying, so focus on prophecy. I mean, interpreted tongues is good too, but earnestly especially desire prophecy. But so here's the deal. If, if, you've, if you've got a hammer, you've got a saw, you've got a drill, you've got a hammer, why would I say to all of you, desire hammers? Unless, unless, you're, God may want to give you a hammer, even though you had a saw to begin with, right? And so, and look also at verse 39, just to see it, it's stated again, of chapter 14. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. He's telling the whole church, all of you, desire to prophesy. So here's how I think it works. I think when God saves you, he pours out the Holy Spirit upon you. You sense his presence, you're forgiven. God's love's poured into your heart. And instead of giving you like prophecy or tongues or healing or teaching, it's it's like he gives you a a, a tool bag. I'm really kind of mixing up the analogies here. Okay, bear with me. See if this makes sense. He gives you a tool bag. And he promises, if you will earnestly desire and pray I will always put in that tool bag whatever tools you need to address the situation you're facing. So you're there and you see all these two by fours and you're in the tool bag and, ha, there's a saw, right? Or, man, all these nails. Hammer, okay? That is, he will always give you exactly the gifts you need as you're earnestly desiring. You understand all of them. You're open to all of them. You're earnestly desiring them and you're praying, give me what I need. He will always give you what you need for that setting. That's how it works. But see, if, if we teach people that you've already got whatever gifts you're going to have, and the way you know is kind of by what you're comfortable with and what your personality is, like if you're, if you're a prophet, you're probably outspoken. So if you're really outspoken, maybe that's your gift. And I'm just not sure how helpful that is. I know a lot of people do that, and, and I love them, and they're godly people, and, but I, I just don't see that model working in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. I see a people who are earnestly desiring gifts and praying for gifts, and then being content with whatever God gives 
as well as, as long as they're asking for more at the same time. Okay, that, that's what I see going on in terms of when gifts are given. Now, if you have questions about that, jot it down because I'm going to have time for some questions a little bit later here. Another barrier is not understanding how gifts are received. They, some, some people, because of like stories they've read or stuff they've seen on TV or whatever, they, they think that spiritual gift is like you lose control and you're kind of like taken over or possessed in some way. That just doesn't fit 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. For example, look at verses 29 through 32. 1 Corinthians 14, 29, 30, 31, 32. Here's what Paul says. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. We'll talk more about that last phrase next week. God's word is how we know that spiritual gifts are from God. So everything that we receive, we filter through the scriptures. This is our authority, okay? So we weigh according to the scriptures everything. Scripture is the authority, not gifts. Verse 30. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silence. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets, the gift of prophecy coming upon people who move in that gift, are subject to prophets. That is, you're in control, right? You aren't taken over. And so what happens when you receive like a gift of prophecy is a revelation comes to you. See that line in verse 30? If a revelation is made to another sitting there. What this means is that as you're praying with earnest desire and expectation, like during the time, often after worship, we'll take a chunk of time just to wait on the Lord and ask him to bring spiritual gifts. And so at that time, you're just there earnestly desiring, you're praying. And it's not... It's not that you try to think of something good to say. There's a place for that and a time for that, but that's not what we're talking about here. This is where you're there before the Lord and a revelation is made to you. God spontaneously brings something into your mind that came from him. Now you can choose whether to share it and when to share it, right? That's how it works. God's very gracious in this. And I hope you'll share it at that time. Okay, that's his intention. But so you don't lose control. He, he makes a revelation to you. And again, notice that the one receiving this revelation doesn't, doesn't uh, lose control. The spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. I already said that. Okay, now, just at this point, let me just make a comment because um, in our service often, the way we do it is we have a time for spiritual gifts right at the end of worship, and then later we have a sharing time. Okay, like when Dale shared, and when Don shared, and Amanda shared. Okay, right there. Okay. Now, spiritual gift time is different from the sharing time. Sharing time is when we, we think, what could I share that would be helpful for the body? I think over my last week, I think of what God's done. I think, oh, that'd be good. And I stand up and share it. Awesome! God will build up people through it. He'll encourage people through it. That's a wonderful thing. Okay? That's not a spiritual gift. So we, we want to separate these out so we don't lose this. This is not when we do the same thing. This is different. This is when we come before God and say, would you give me something now? And he brings something into your heart. He spontaneously brings something into your mind that's from him. And there's a sense this is from him and he wants you to share it. Do you see the difference between sharing time where I'm thinking, what could I share? 
and spiritual gifts. Where I'm not thinking, what could I share? I'm thinking, God, what do you want me to share? He does give you something, or he's not giving me anything. Okay, either one's good. You're, you're there, you're earnestly desiring, you're praying. What he gives is up to him. And I feel like there's been some times where there's been silence during the spiritual gifts time, and maybe, and just, you know, we love each other, and somebody wants to share something because, kind of break the silence. Somebody's got to say something here, you know. Let me tell you, when we have Sundays when nobody shares a spiritual gift, it's a big win for us. The reason I love that is because it just confirms to me we are not making this stuff up. We're not trying to impress anybody here. We will not pretend if God doesn't give any spiritual gifts. We will let there be silence in honor of the Lord. Right? Can we all commit to that together? So, and I, so don't feel pressure like you gotta, you gotta, you know, Steve's worried. I gotta stand up and share something because Steve's, I'm not, I'm usually not worried, okay? Because we want to honor God here. This is so important. We want what He has for us. And I feel like we've had some sweet times of gifts being shared, and I'm praying for an outpouring of more. So, all right. Um, one last one, then we'll open up for some questions. I think a barrier for a lot of people is thinking I'm not good enough to receive spiritual gifts. So you, you believe that God still works through spiritual gifts, and, and, and you'd love to, to receive a spiritual gift, but you think, you know, I'm, I haven't been following Jesus for very long, so I'm not qualified, or I've, I've, I've really felt far from God this last week, so I'm not very spiritual, or man, I, I really screwed up this past week, lost my temper, so there's no way I'm going to receive spiritual gifts this morning because I'm just not worthy of it, Right? I would guess many of you have that kind of a thought go through your mind. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 4. This won't be immediately apparent how this is relevant, but I hope to show you as I explain it. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Paul says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now write down in the margin of your Bible, or underline that word gifts. The word gifts is the Greek word charismata. The root of the word charismata is the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, which is the Greek word usually translated grace. Grace. Remember John Wimber used to call spiritual gifts gracelets. A little awkward, but the point he was trying to make was that these are not badges of honor or Stamps of worthiness. These are gifts of God's grace. And we need to remind ourselves again and again and again that we are completely unworthy and undeserving of anything good from God because of our rebellion against Him. Oh, it's sweet to own up to that because we all know it's true. The Bible tells us the truth. And the cross is all about the way that undeserving, unworthy people can be forgiven. See, we don't need to try to be worthy or try to be deserving because Jesus has been worthy and deserving by his sinless, perfect life on the cross and he's paid for all of our unworthiness. So the moment you put your trust in Jesus, an unworthy person putting our trust in a worthy Jesus, at that moment you are forgiven, you receive a free gift of forgiveness, 
You receive the free gift of his presence, satisfying your heart with his love. You receive his promise of guidance and provision. You know that he is the affectionate father caring for you, and you receive gifts. It's all grace. So when you receive a gift, don't think it's because I've been deserving this or I'm worthy of this. It's called a gift to unworthy, undeserving people. And if you feel particularly unworthy or undeserving right now, you just look at the cross, look at Jesus and say, I'm always in need of your gifts of grace. So give me forgiveness, give me more of your presence, and give me whatever gifts you want to give me for my brothers and sisters here. So let's just banish from our thoughts, Mercy Hill Church, let's just eradicate from our thoughts any idea that spiritual gifts are only for those who've been following Jesus for a long time or for those who have been particularly spiritual this last week. If you're trusting Jesus right now, you could receive a spiritual gift right now this morning that would be powerfully encouraging to somebody else sitting here. It's not because of your worthiness, it's because of his worthiness and because of what he's done on the cross. Does that make sense? Okay, now, let's see what questions this, this is raised. Far away. And by the way, you've, you've heard me give my, my uh, reasons for believing that spiritual gifts are still valid today. My main passion is not that any of you would agree with me per se, but that you would take what I say to the word and figure this out for yourself. Right? I want you to own this biblically. That's the crucial thing. Okay? Jesus will not ask you on the final day if you agreed with me. He'll ask if you agreed with him. All right, so study the word. Now, what questions does this raise up? We're going to talk about that more next week, but let me give you a, a, a brief answer. Um, Dale's question is, how do you know if, if something's from God or not? Okay, so my first filter is, is it biblical? All right, that is, is there anything in the Bible that would contradict this? Okay, if yes, it's not from God. Okay, if no, it passes that flow chart test, okay? And then I will oftentimes just say, Lord, is this something you want me to share? And if it's, if it's biblical, and if... I'm waiting on him, and it comes into my mind. I'll just go with it and let my brothers and sisters give me some feedback. Okay? Now, a home group is a great place to be pursuing these things, too, because you can have instant feedback there. It's really, really helpful. But if, it, if, it's, if, you're, if it's a time when you're waiting on the Lord, you're asking him for spiritual gifts, and then something pops into your mind, and it's biblical, and you think, this, this could edify the body. This is an edifying, upbuilding thing. I would share it. And then, and then say, if that was helpful for you after this, could you give me some feedback as if that was from the Lord or not? Okay. And people will give you feedback. Yeah, and, and we, will, we will, don't worry about that. We will, if somebody thinks shared that's unbiblical, we will deal with it immediately. And so we'll be gracious and gentle and firm. Okay. I, th- I think there are. Um, do you understand Paul's question? Are there permanent gifts? Let me illustrate it this way. See if this helps and give me some feedback if it doesn't. Um, we're all to earnestly desire prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14.1, 14.39. So we all are called to do that. So every follower of Jesus should be praying, Lord, if you'd be so pleased, give me, give me a gifting of that so that I can encourage the body right now. And God will give that to some people. Maybe even everybody at some point in time. I don't know. That's up to him. He doesn't say that. But he will give it to some. And yet there's also people in the New Testament called prophets, which has to mean some kind of a permanent gift. Now that does not mean, I don't think, that they can prophesy at will. Like just stand up and start talking in his prophecy. I think what that means is that over time, 
God has gifted them with prophecy, and it's it's become recognized by the body, affirmed by the body, and so over time they start to be called prophets. So that's my understanding of permanent gifts. Now, is that... Sound like what you were. Th- now, tests. My problem with tests is at least some of them have been very kind of like temperament oriented. Like I threw out the idea, you know, prophets are kind of hardcore radical, outspoken people. So if you're hardcore radical, outspoken, you've got the gift of prophecy. I don't see anything in the Bible that puts any connection between the gift of prophecy and being outspoken and radical. I just don't. That's just a psychological thing. Does that make sense? It's nothing. I mean, temperament. And my concern about that is that people start to think, well, the gift of prophecy is being outspoken, and I can do that any time, and that's not the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is when God gives you something from him to share with somebody else to build them up. It's a really good question. Because I know we should always be depending upon the Holy Spirit for everything. You'd agree with that. We'd all agree with that, right? And yet there, there do seem to be some points at which some things are more uniquely supernatural and obviously supernatural and some aren't as clearly supernatural. They're all from God. They're all dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I mean, let me just tell you about, I think I've got the gift of teaching, but there are some Sundays where I just go home and just say, where did that gift go? You know? <laughs> Dang, I thought I had the gift. <laughs> right? And, and um, so teaching is not just something you can stand up and do. It's like, well, I, I can do this. I cannot do this. <laughs> oh God, oh God, oh God. So you all keep praying for me, okay? Um, and yet, teaching is something that doesn't feel as supernatural, even when it's working, as, as maybe a gift of prophecy. Ah, I don't think the Bible's really clear on that, on that question. So that's probably the best I can do. Maybe somebody else can do a better job. Somebody else got a gift of teaching for that one? Good point. So everybody desire prophecy, but not everybody become a teacher. There's a difference there. Yeah. So again, now that's a verse that's always been in the Bible. Before this morning, that verse is in the Bible. Okay, It's always true all the time. But the Holy Spirit brought that to Matt's attention to share it now because somebody needs to hear that in a special, timely way. And it's impacting you right now. You've, I'm assuming you've gotten bad news this last week. And um, he, does not, he does not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting the Lord is how I've learned that verse. And... Um, so that's how it'll work. So take heart at that. That's a word that God has for you. Be steadfast in light of good news. Let your heart be steadfast, trusting the Lord. See how that works? In fact, let me just ask, who, who the, the whole window thing with Pamela, who, who was resonating with that? Would you mind? You, know, maybe, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but I think it'd be encouraging. With whom did that resonate? Okay, Steve Darrow over here. Anybody else? Okay, isn't that cool? Lance, any other window openers? All right. How about this, the bad news, Psalm 112, 7? Who did that resonate with? Just so we know. Okay. One over here. Anybody else? Okay, that's good. See how this works? So if Pamela wouldn't have shared that, Steve would have left less built up today. And if Matt wouldn't have shared that, Brandon would have left less built up today. See, we've got to understand 95% of the ministry that God wants to do, maybe 99%, is not done by pastors. It's done by us in this way. Our job is to equip you to, to do it, okay? All right, see how this works? Now, we could spend a lot more time, but I should wrap up. And 
and uh, you can keep talking to each other or go out to lunch or whatever, but we'll do this again next week. And as questions come into your mind this week, I mean, wrestle with it together as a home group. How are we as a home group doing in terms of earnestly desiring spiritual gifts? What do we believe about spiritual gifts? And then you can email me questions or bring them next Sunday and we'll, we'll pursue this some more. So let me thank the Lord for meeting us today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your grace through Jesus that you would give us gifts to build up others and to see lost people come to know you. And thank you for meeting us today. I pray, Lord, that this week as we study 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and as we wrestle with this issue in our home groups and as we pray and earnestly desire gifts while we're at Costco or at the workplace or in our neighborhoods, Lord, come and give us gifts and give us boldness to act on what you give us so that your name is glorified and your people are built up and the lost are saved. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.